All right, now we're going to let the kids go. Let's have them stand up. I'll pray for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the moms. We thank you for blessing us with them. We thank you, God, that um, they work hard to honor you and to, um, to serve you. We thank you for the impact they've had on us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for our um, catechism workers and um, their hearts to train our children for um, an hour each week to give them your word. Also pray, God, for us as your word goes forth, you say it won't return void. So we cling to that promise. And God, I do pray for the different churches in O'Fallon, um, the Bible-believing churches, Lord. I pray you bless them today, bless them as they are endeavoring to um, be your hands and feet as they preach the gospel, Lord, that you would um, increase their numbers, God, and, and bless them. Um, it's all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ together serving the kingdom. So bless them, God, today as they um, preach your word, as they hear it, as they worship you. Lord, we do pray for um, O'Fallon, we pray for St. Charles County and the, the surrounding counties, God, that we would be salt and light to them, that we would use this opportunity of Friends Day um, to be salt and light to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family and friends, God, that you would bless that day, that you'd bring many, many, many people that we invite, that you'd give us favor in the sight of the people that we invite, and they would respond with a yes and be able to come. And God, we thank you so much that you love us, that um, you give yourself uh, to us. And we thank you, Lord, that our cup overflows and overflows and overflows with your goodness and mercy, Lord. So bless the rest of our day. Bless our time now. Uh, we pray this with the authority you give us in your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, I ran across this article. It was an advice column, and it was uh, titled... Uh, what do moms do? And so a single lady had wrote into the advice column and was asking, what do moms do? So she writes to the advice columnist. And she says, uh, my best friend has a child. And she always tells me she's exhausted, she's busy, she has no time for herself, no time for me, etc. And me, I'm like, wow, sorry, I don't have kids. What did you do today? She, I went to the park, I went to the playgroup. So she, she continues her letter. Okay, um, I've done internet searches. I've talked to parents. I don't get it. What do stay-at-home moms do all day? Please, no lists of library, grocery store, dry cleaners. I do all those things too, and I don't do them every day. I guess what I'm asking is, what is a typical day, and why don't moms have time for a call or email? I work, and I'm away from home nine hours a day plus a few late work events and I manage to get it all done. I'm feeling like the kid is an excuse to relax and enjoy. Not a bad thing at all, uh, but if so, why won't my friend tell me the truth? Is this a contest? My life is so much harder than yours. What's the deal? I've got friends with and without kids and all us child-free folks get the same story and have the same questions. So the columnist um, replies, 
relax and enjoy. Um, either you're lying about having friends with kids or you're taking them at their word that they actually have kids because you haven't personally been in the same room with them. I keep wavering between giving you a straight answer and giving my forehead some keyboard. <laughs> to claim you want to understand while in the same breath implying that the only logical conclusions are that your mom friends are either lying or competing with you is disingenuous indeed. So since it's validation you seem to want, the real answer is what you get in list form. When you have young kids, your typical day is constant attention from getting them out of bed, fed, clean, dressed, to keeping them out of harm's way, to answering their coups, cries, questions, to having two arms and carrying one kid, one set of car keys, and supplies for even the quickest trips, including the latest to be declared essential piece of molded plastic gear, to keeping them from unshelving books at the library, to enforcing rest times, to staying one step ahead of them lest they get too hungry, tired, or bored, any one of which produces the kind of checkout line screaming that gets the checkout line shaking its head. It's needing 45 minutes to do what takes others 15. It's constant vigilance, constant touch, constant use of your voice, constant relegation of your needs to the second tier. It's constant scrutiny and second guessing from family and friends, well-meaning and otherwise. It's resisting constant temptation to seek short-term relief at everyone's long-term expense. It's doing all this while concurrently teaching virtually everything. Language, manners, safety, resourcefulness, discipline, curiosity, creativity, empathy, everything. It's also a choice, yes, and a joy. But if you spent all day, every day, with this brand of joy, and then when you got your first 10 minutes to yourself, you actually wanted to be alone with your thoughts instead of calling a good friend, a good friend wouldn't judge you, complain about you to mutual friends, or marvel how much more productively she uses her time. So, either make a sincere effort to understand your mom friends or keep your stuff to yourself. <laughs> well said, because moms do a whole lot. Um, all right, a couple caveats before I give my message today. I don't usually give caveats, but actually they're more encouragements. One, um, I, I hit on today primarily moms that still have kids in the home, and that's what I, as I was kind of reflecting on it, that's what a lot of Mother's Day sermons are, which I think in large part they should be. Um, but next year, I'm going to talk about um, moms with kids outside the home, all right? So um, I don't hit on that much today, but I think it needs to, to be addressed. I'm just not going to do it today. Second, much of what I'm going to say to the moms today applies to the dads as well. So dads, take note um, and take notes. <laughs> so um, third, there's some single people here, all right? Single from teenage, even above teenage, even below teenage. And guess what? Um, you should take note as well, because if you're a lady, um, someday God may bless you with children, so this is an opportunity for you to learn. And if you're a young man, someday the Lord may bless you with a wife and then with children. And this is an opportunity for you to learn as well. Um, before I got married, 
Um, you know, I read books on marriage. Why? Because I wanted to be prepared when I was married. It was kind of like preventative medicine or something like that. Um, <laughs> so it is okay for you to hear a sermon, even if the specific applications might not be to you, the principles are eternal. And it kind of goes to something uh, in regards to the word in general. We should all be able to hear the word preached, and even if it's maybe not a specific application to us, we should still be able to learn and glean from the word. Why? Because it's the word. All right. Those are my caveats and my encouragements. Um, mothers have a tough job. It's often a thankless job, and it at, can seem at many times unrewarding. Um, but here's the thing. The scripture teaches us the value of women and the value of moms. Um, we see some amazing role models of mothers in the scriptures. And today I just want to look at one mother's example in the scripture um, that I think we can learn a few things from. So if you will, turn to 1 Samuel. Chapter 1. I'm going to rehash the first part of the story as you're turning there. This is the story of Hannah. And she was married to a man named Elkanah, who had another wife as well. Um, Hannah's um, challenge was that she didn't have children, and she really wanted children. And so um, while she was greatly disappointed at that, her husband was pretty gracious to her. And one day when they went to the temple, she is pleading with the Lord for a child, the high priest, Eli, sees her um, and assumes, like, basically that she's drunk and is like, lady, you're out of your mind, uh, and goes over and talks to her. Um, and she explains, no, I'm, I'm, you know, this is, I'm praying for a child. This is basically all I really want. So this is where we pick it up in verse 17. Uh, then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Then uh, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Uh, first point I want to make. Prepare 
your children. Prepare your children. Uh, Hannah had limited time. The text says that um, she didn't fully dedicate him and give him over to the temple until he was weaned. Back then, weaning went on on average a few years longer. So he could have been as young as maybe three and old as five. The text doesn't specifically say. But Hannah made use of the time she had. Um, Each of us has limited time with our children. So prepare them. Prepare them. Use the time wisely. Instruct fully, wisely, completely. This is something that's not done in a day. It's not done in a week. It's not done in a month. It's not even done in a year. Um, But because it seems like it's such a long time, and many days it seems really long, um, it's easy to let those days slip by, and the days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years, and then, boom, they're grown up and they're gone. Ephesians gives us some good information and and a reason for it. So look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of the reason we use the time wisely, why? Because the days are evil. We have a set amount of time on this earth. We only have so many days. The Lord has appointed our end And we need to use each one of those days for God's glory. If you're a mom or dad, part of using those days wisely is instructing the people that God has put you over. In this case, your children. We need to be aware that the days are evil. It doesn't take much more than looking in the newspaper or online to see that the days are evil. Um, Here's the thing. You're trying to be a good parent. Learn your craft well. Learn your craft well. Right? If you're a computer programmer and that's your job, you probably read books on computer programming or you probably learn additional languages than the ones you learned when you first started your job. Um, whatever your job might be. <clears throat> if you do construction, Josh, you do construction, right? you're probably still learning your craft and learning different things that you need to do, right? The knowledge, there's not just, you've, you've gained the knowledge and you're good. In fact, many jobs, uh, you have to do continuing education credits, right? Why? Because they want you to continue to learn in the field that you have your job. Well, how much more important would that be in our job as parents, right? Like, we need to learn our craft. We need to learn it well. So one, you can humble yourself. I know that's hard to do. Um, But you can humble yourself and talk to other parents and get some advice from them. I highly recommend it. Um, Learn from those that are spiritually more mature than you and that have already made some bad choices and some good choices and see how you can navigate that path 
from the things that they've already been through. Um, also, read a book or two or three on parenting. If you want suggestions on what to read, you can see me. Um, but read, read on parenting. Learn how to be a better parent. Uh, there's a great book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. We went through it a number of years ago uh, in, in some of the life groups. Excellent information, excellent advice, excellent wisdom in there. Learn from those people that have done a good job in something that you want to do a good job in. So it's important to spend time learning how to do it well. <clears throat> Here's the thing. There are a thousand great things out there for our children to do. Like a thousand, probably a million. From the time they're little to the time they're older, I get emails on different activities that go on in the area for different age groups, and there are so many. You can't do it all. And I would encourage you, don't try to do it all. Listen, if your kid doesn't turn out to be the piano playing, baseball hitting, hip-hop dancing, computer programming, rocket scientist, it's okay. Because that's not the goal. That's not the goal. What is the goal with our kids when we're parenting? It's a regenerated heart. That's what we're parenting towards, a regenerated heart. Um, what's the goal of marriage? Well, there's a few things. One of them is procreation, but it's much more than that. Uh, look in Malachi chapter 2. Malachi 2 is talking about Judah profaning the covenant. <clears throat> he starts in verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why, aren't they, why, is, are, are they not, why is God not accepting the acceptable sacrifices and worship? Why does he not? Verse 14, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. That's why. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. So, it's not, just, it's not just children that the Lord is seeking, right? He didn't just say offspring in verse 15. What is God seeking? He's seeking godly offspring. Okay, so it's not just children, it's godly children. The primary goal for your children is not to be well-rounded, not to have conservative views, not to vote for the party that you vote for, not to get a degree that ensures a good job, not to get some job that gives them six-figure income. The primary goal is a regenerated heart. 
All those other, they can have all those other things, and that's great if the Lord blesses them with that. But if they don't have the regenerated heart, I mean, all that stuff, I mean, it's, it's, it's just temporary. They need the regenerated heart. So you shepherd to that end. Every decision that you're making keeps in mind the primary goal, regeneration. You train to that end, you work to that end. Listen, this role is given to parents. Okay? It's not given to the church. There's different spheres of what we might call government. And so you have like the family sphere, or you could call it, theologians call it the family government. Then you have the uh, civil sphere. Theologians call it like the state. Um, And then you have the church government, or the ecclesiastical role. And each sphere has different primary responsibilities. One of the primary responsibilities for the family is to raise godly children. That responsibility is not given to the church. It's not my job to raise your children. Now, I will come alongside and compliment what you are doing. Um, If they're sitting in here, uh, they'll hear the word. If they're in our catechism classes, they're going to hear the word. We will structure things to come alongside and compliment what you're doing. But, But our role is secondary. That's the church's role. It's secondary. Your role is primary. So <clears throat> if you're just going to come and put them in the catechism class, so that's maybe an hour each week, and then um, maybe you do some activity with the church, some ministry with the church, and they get some exposure there. They go to IGY. That's a couple more hours. Um, that's, what, three, four, maybe five hours at the very most. Um, you, well, you still got them for whatever it is, 163 hours, right? So the, the, the large part of time, they're still with you, and you're still training them, and you're still instructing them, and you're still shepherding them. So this role is the parent's role. It's your role. Listen, Malachi, he writes at a time when if you're an Israelite, it's like Israelite, and then there's like a big equal sign, and then it says salvation, okay? Because to be an Israelite, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, you're, you're saved, and that wasn't true as we see. Not all Israel is Israel. Um, but that, it was kind of like assumed. But, but here's the thing. <clears throat> uh, Yahweh didn't just want the Israelites reproducing. That's the point he's driving home here. Why? Because God himself knew that just because you're born an Israelite doesn't mean you're a saved Israelite. Um, <clears throat> being born into a believing family doesn't guarantee salvation. Don't Presume upon the Lord with your kid's eternal soul. That's a dangerous thing. So unregenerate children from believers is the same thing as unregenerate children from unbelievers. They're both unregenerate. Um, We want to see salvation in action. Um, I don't think we're content with our kids just simply praying a prayer, with simply claiming Christ. Um, I don't think we should be. When we want to see inward gospel change lead to external gospel change. It starts in the heart and works its way out. Um, we don't need super moms, all right? I know there's pressure to be a super mom, and many of you are super moms, but we don't need super moms. We need faithful moms. 
And we don't need moms that have it all together. We need moms desperately seeking the Father's wisdom and guidance as, he shepherd, as you shepherd your children. So prepare them. Use the time wisely. Second, a time's going to come when a mom has to send her child out, and she must do so. There's a time to prepare and a time to send. Notice I said send instead of let go. Because send is, is an active thing. Letting go is more of a passive thing. It's like, oh, I don't have a, I don't have a decision. I don't have a choice. <clears throat> but active, you're sending. You're making a conscious decision to send them out. Um, Hannah knew when to send Samuel out. Listen, there's a time to keep children at home and protect them, but there's a time to send them out. And our culture goes to one extreme. You know, just kind of, well, just let them, just, you know, throw open the doors, hope they make it, let them do their own thing. Um, we can go to the other extreme. Like protect, 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 put them in a bubble. Um, I get it. I understand. I got four kids. You know, I want to shield them from all the dangers and hurts of the world. But you know what? I can't. Not forever, right? Um, I remember talking with a young man um, whose parents didn't talk to him about um, sexuality um, until he was 18 years old. That's a little late. That's a little late. Um, and because he was so sheltered, he didn't find out from his friends anything until that talk. And here's the thing. Keeping them in a bubble, trying to put up shields and walls, doesn't fully protect them. You want to know why? Because you can't protect them from themselves. Not fully. You can build that wall and keep them inside there, but guess what? They're still inside there. Right? So there's three things vying for your child's attention and heart. The world, the devil, and the flesh. And you need to train them to be prepared to deal with and do battle with all three. All three. So the kind of wall shield approach, that just focuses on the world. It misses the other two, the devil and the flesh. So as much protection as you want to do, um, they still have their own flesh to deal with. It's, it's kind of like that movie, The Village, if you ever saw it like 10 years ago, right? And people go out and live in the middle of nowhere to escape all the worldliness. What happens? Well, sin happens, right? They can't, you, can't, you can't completely shut out sin because you're there. Congratulations. So, um, sending them out, though, is not a one-time thing. When they graduate high school, that's like the coming-of-age thing in America. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, Hannah sent out Samuel when he was, you know, this young little boy. Um, sending them out will look different at various ages. But I think we need to have intentionality about sending them out in regards to different things. Um, if you wait until they're graduating high school um, to let them out of the bubble and send them out, it's too late. And when I, when I was at college, um, before I knew the Lord, I saw many, many of my peers, um, you, could t you, could t you could spot them a mile away. It's like they had, they had been in a bubble for the previous 17 or 18 years, and they were just now being let out of that bubble, and it was just like, 
all craziness broke loose. They didn't know what to do with this newfound freedom, and it was just everywhere doing all sorts of craziness. You had to train them, you know, and give them different privileges and responsibilities along the way. That's part of the sending out. Part of preparing is providing some protection. Um, part of preparing actually is, is having some exposure. Okay? If, if my son, sons or daughter are going to trip up, um, do I want them to trip up in my household or once they, once they get out of my household? Well, neither really, right? <laughs> but they're going to trip up. They're going to trip up. So where do I want that to happen? Where do I want them to, to scrape their knees to, to get some bruises? Well, ideally under my watchful protection so I can help them. Hey, why did that happen? Why did you scrape your knee? Why did you get bruised? How can we avoid that in the future? Um, if you just protect, 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 and avoid against the scraped knees, so to speak, the bruises, the hurts, all you're doing is saving that to just hit them all at once. It's kind of like in our own Christian Christian walk. Like, I feel like the Lord, when I first got saved, he started working on me. And I was like, oh, you know, I'd be all, like, proud of myself, which isn't good, but I'd be like, man, I just got over this, all, this thing that I was dealing with, right? And then, like, God would reveal something else to me, right? I'd be like, man, where, that wasn't, oh, it was there, right? And then the Lord would take me through that, and I'd get over that, and then I'd start patting myself on the back again, sinfully, pridefully, and then he'd show me something else in my life, Right? Well, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing. Like, if God showed us all that stuff in our lives all at once, I mean, I mean I'd probably fall over dead, right? I mean, it'd just be overwhelming. It's the same thing if we're not giving our kids those opportunities and helping lead and guide them. If they get that exposure all at once, I mean, it's just going gonna, gonna to hit them so hard, they're just going to fall over, spiritually dead. It's going to knock them out. So we've got to use wisdom there. Uh, Justice and I were sharing the gospel uh, with a young man this past week. Um, and, he, and he was raised um, Hindu by his parents. They weren't like really practicing Hindus, but that was kind of like the cultural um, background. And he was telling me, um, he was telling us about his fiance, um, and and her parents are believers. Um, and she's she's 28, and it was clear from the conversation, um, from what he was sharing, that they hadn't sent her out. I mean, 28 years old, and from what he was describing, I mean, they're still mother henning her, you know. They're still keep trying to keep her in that bubble. They're still hovering. They're still micromanaging. Um, <clears throat> and he says to us, we're, we're sharing with him, he says, man, this conversation, this conversation right now we're having, this, this is like, because we're talking about the gospel. He's like, I like this conversation. This is a great conversation. You know, you're talking, I'm talking, we're sharing. Um, he's like, but, but my parent, or my, my future in-laws who are believers, um, th- this would look a lot different conversation um, if it was them talking to me. It'd be them sitting me down. I mean, and the guy's like 30 years old. Um, them sitting me down and them telling me all the things that I was doing wrong and why I needed to believe in Christianity and why everything I believed in wasn't true. Well, and it's, that's not really a conversation, right? Bad approach, by the way, for, for, for witnessing. So even this, this gentleman um, who's not a believer yet, I mean, could see, and that, what's sad is that 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 colored his pers- perspective and perception of Christianity. That, that's his exposure. Uh, his primary exposure is, is through his fiancée, her parents, and whatever the interaction is, at least from his perspective, it's not been good at all. 
Um, we need to be careful with our own witnesses, right? Um, sometimes people meeting us, they really might be the only true Christians that they come into contact with. We need to take the, the weight that God has given us as ambassadors pretty seriously. Uh, because what, whatever perception we're giving off, whatever we're projecting, is, is potentially the only lens of Christianity that they're going to see. So we better make sure that lens is, is a proper biblical lens. Okay, so that's my, that's my second point. Um, third, we need to pray. We need to pray. Look back in 1 Samuel. How does the story pretty much begin? Well, Hannah's in the temple praying, right? How does this, uh, how does this story wrap up with Hannah? Well, in chapter 2, Hannah prays this long prayer. It's, it's, it's her. She's handing Samuel over. There they are in the temple, and they're worshiping, okay? And, and the picture you get is, is prayer is what began even before she had Samuel. And then here, here she is dedicating him to the Lord, and prayer is still going on. So you get this picture that she was a woman of prayer. Anyone uh, who prayed this much for her son at his departure would have continued praying just as much. Uh, once she returned home. Let me give a word to parents of wayward children. I know there's some parents here who have some wayward children. My encouragement is pray, 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 pray. Uh, my mom was very, 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 very faithful to pray for me. I believe in large part that I got saved because of her prayers. She was very faithful to pray for me. I remember I'd go to bed. Um, I remember in high school... I'd, I'd go to bed, usually up, up super late doing homework, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, turn off all the lights, and my mom's light would be on um, down the hall in her room. I'd walk down there, and her Bible would be open, and she would have fallen asleep with the Bible open reading it. And so I'd turn off, I'd, Mom, wake up, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> now I'd turn off her light, <clears throat> I'd go to bed, I'd wake up 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, I always thought I was the first one up. Nope, the light was on in her room down the hall, and she'd, I'd usually go and peek in there, and she'd be on her knees praying. So got this picture, even as an unbeliever for me, that my mom placed great importance on prayer in the scriptures. And I think it's good for our kids um, to see and to know that, that we highly value the scriptures and that we highly value prayer. And we can say that all we want, but um, you know, pictures speak a thousand words. So that visual image that they have, if they see you with the word opened and actually reading it, that picture, if they come in when you're praying or they, they know that I'm going into my room, kids, for the next 30 minutes to pray, I mean, that speaks volumes to them. Pray, pray, pray. One of the great church fathers, uh, Augustine, I mean, he was basically prayed into salvation by his mom. And she prayed, her name was Monica, prayed like crazy for her son, who was an unbeliever. He gets saved and ended up becoming one of the greatest, maybe the greatest um, church father. So pray. You can never pray 
too much for your children. You just can't. You can never pray too much. So pray for them. Um, moms, dads, pray for them regularly. Um, if, if you're not, they're missing out on a huge blessing. Okay? Um, I, I believe that the prayers of my mom and other people in my life have, have probably guided me um, away from sin, into wise decisions, w- without me even knowing it. So pray. Um, listen, Hannah didn't know how God was going to use Samuel. Right? I mean, she didn't know. Um, and, and we don't know how God's going to use our kids. We don't know. But we, we nurture in faith. In faith. We teach in faith. We admonish in faith. So listen, being a mother, I mean, I, I truly believe it's the toughest job. Hands down. And it's probably the most unrewarding job, except for one day out of the year, called Mother's Day, where you get patted on the back a little bit, and you get a free coffee at QT. <clears throat> Congratulations. <laughs> but here's the thing. How does a mom accomplish this God-given job? How does she accomplish it? Well, it's no coincidence. I didn't know Chris was going to read this passage as the call to worship, but it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that that's how he opened um, today with the scripture. I want you all to turn there in Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy 2.1. Um, I just actually read this a few days ago in my quiet time. I read it again today as I was, uh, before I came up, came up here. This might be one of the most powerful verses in all Scripture. There's many powerful ones, and all Scripture is powerful. Don't get me wrong. But <clears throat> the, what this says, You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Moms, dads, this should be like your go-to verse. This should be your go-to verse. I know a lot of people have 2 Timothy 2, 2, right? That's an excellent verse about discipleship, but we can miss verse 1. Uh, be strengthened. That's in the, that's in the passive. And um, as I've been teaching the college and career students, um, when, when something is in the passive, that means the subject's not doing the action. So be strengthened. Well, then the question is, who's doing the strengthening? And in the New Testament, a little cool thing for you all, something's in the passive voice, um, it's, it's just assumed that, that God is the one who's doing it. So be strengthened by who? By God. He's the agent. How is he using it? His grace, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. We can't, what's that mean? We can't do it on our own. That's what it means. We can't do it on our own. That's hard to admit. We can't do it on our own. But this should be your go-to verse. Be strengthened, not in your own strength, not in your own power, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So if you're a believer, that's what the in Christ Jesus means. You get God's grace. And it strengthens you 
to do whatever task he's given you to do, whatever task, even one as monumental as being a mom or a dad. Okay? He gives you the grace, and he strengthens you. That grace strengthens you. So if you need to underline it or star it or jot it down in your notes, you should, because this should be a verse you refer back to time and time again. It's one I do. Why? Because it reminds me, one, it's not about me. And two, my dependence is entirely on the Lord. And three, it's him that will do it through me. He gives me everything I need to do whatever task he gives me to do. When I try to do it, it's an epic fail on my own. When I'm leaning on him, an utter dependence, which goes back to the praying, the previous point I made, pray, 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 right? Seeking the Lord, utterly dependent on him, you are strengthened for the task at hand. And you will be able to do it by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you supply abundantly, more than abundantly, your grace and mercy. We thank you that you teach us time and time again to rely not on our own understanding, but to trust in you. To lean not on the wisdom of man, but on the wisdom of God. And I pray for each mom here. I pray against a spirit of discouragement, a spirit of harshness, a spirit of criticalness of her own against herself, Lord, that you would wipe that away, that you would take it away. And that's not from you, Lord. I pray that you would show her that you can do whatever you want in her life, in her kid's life, and that there'd be a complete surrender by her, God. Lord, when we are weak, your scriptures say we're made strong, and that being made strong is by you, God, but we have to depend on you for everything. So may the mothers here do that. May the fathers as well. Lord, our heart is to see our kids uh, flourish spiritually. And we acknowledge um, we can't do that on our own. We acknowledge and admit that we can read them a thousand theology books and have them memorize a million verses. And even that doesn't guarantee salvation that we are dependent upon you and your grace, Lord, to give them the gift of faith and to save them. And so I intercede for each uh, family represented here, God. I intercede for the children represented by those families, Lord, that you would be gracious to save each of the children, that you would be gracious to pour out your mercy on them, that you would be gracious to give them faith and turn their hearts wherever it might be turn their hearts back to you, God. Um, If they were raised in a Christian home, then likely they have heard the good news time and time again. And so I pray that 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 word that has been there for years, decades, God, maybe, um, you would cause it to be a seed 
that is still planted there and you would water it and cause it to grow, Lord. While there is breath, there is hope. While they are still breathing, Lord, there is an opportunity for them to repent and to trust in you. So I ask on behalf of all the families, Lord, that you would be merciful um, to any of our children that don't know you. Only you know their hearts, God. Even the ones that maybe we think are doing well, God. You know their hearts, Lord. So I pray for any of our children that do not believe that you would save them, that you would do whatever it takes to save them, Lord. In your mercy and your grace, God. We thank you that that's not too big a task for you, that you are the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, that you are the ruler of this universe, that you hold all things in your hand, God. And so we ask you, knowing that you are a good God, that you are a loving God, that you are an all-powerful God, we ask um, as your children for this gift, Lord, for your glory, Lord, that they might serve you faithfully and wholeheartedly all their days. We love you.